Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. Both uh, flattered and humbled uh, by the participation in this event and in the prior event, the um, crisis communications webinar that was done last week. Um, I am excited because there's such a uh, high degree of interest and uh, humbled because while I'm going to be sharing my experience with you, the topic is very large, very broad, and that the um, anticipated changes the road ahead uh, is still evolving. It's still quite complex. So what we hope to review today is the current situation, uh, where we are, and I'll be talking specifically about segments in the markets for congregate long-term care. I'll be talking about likely recovery models, and I, I'm going to lay out a couple of scenarios for that, and then also talk about effective responses, what it is that we in the uh, congregate long-term care sectors can do. I did have a chance to look at the list of people who had signed up for the program. Uh, it was quite lengthy. Thank you all for being here. Uh, but it does appear as though we have lots of people from congregate long-term care. And so my remarks are going to be focused into those, into those markets. Also, as Romilly said, many of you will have questions, or at least I hope you do. Um, and those questions can be posted on the uh, link on your screen on the sidebar. And I'm really eager to hear your questions. So the current situation, the easiest way to describe it is that we are certainly in a crisis. The words and hyperbole used in the media about uh, the pandemic, the, uh, the, the novel coronavirus pandemic, uh, I can't replicate all of it here, but it is indeed an unexpected event which is having serious impact on our customers, our consumers, our employees, and the brand of congregate long-term care. And significant portion of what I'll be discussing in terms of the road ahead uh, involves managing your brand, managing how the public sees you. Um, so the question is, what is our brand? Uh, here we have a picture of uh, taken in, I believe this was in New York, of uh, individuals getting decontaminated. I think these are uh, National Guardsmen outside of a skilled nursing center being decontaminated after going in to be of assistance and helping. And this is, this is not exactly how any nursing center, any assisted living residence, any congregate care center wanted to have its brand represented. Um, the typical defenses, particular responses in the past that uh, I've heard from uh, clients or would-be clients discuss when discussing crisis communications and crisis management, oh, it'll never happen here. Families love us, our referral sources love us. We know how to handle this and my team uh, can take care of it. Well, what's different in this situation is that grandma, the 
consumers we care for who are placed in our trust and whose the, the confidence of the families that we take on, grandma is threatened. The second thing is that the entire sector is under siege and it's under siege from many, many different uh, angles, angles that we don't necessarily um, have control over or can manage. So it's the whole sector is under siege. The other key feature is that the problems in nursing centers and in assisted living residences in congregate elderly care facilities, the problems there are stirring up what I believe is significant latent guilt in our culture about not caring for grandmother at home. Now, I know that this isn't uh, with everybody. I know that not everybody feels this guilt, but there is a legacy uh, cultural bias to toward those who care for their parents at home. That is, after all, uh, an important feature of a culture that a culture cares for its elderly. And when we're, for whatever reason, unable to care for our parents or our elderly uh, family members in our homes uh, and need to seek care in a congregate care facility, there's very often guilt that's stirred up. And that is getting uh, an extra turbo boost in this environment. Another factor is that there's just no certain end to the challenges being presented by the pandemic, by uh, the political and the systemic uh, difficulties that we're have, having in addressing uh, the crisis. And the, the one of the biggest challenges that we'll zero in on is staff. Now, in a typical econometric model, the staff in a congregate care center, a nursing home, or an assisted living residence, the staff are what makes the service possible. So economists would say that your staff are your means of production. It's how you do what you do. Well, in this environment, the means of production are also under threat. And that raises questions not just now, as staff are decimated by this illness themselves, but also what impact that will have on recruitment and retention in the future. Looking quickly at the staff in nursing centers uh, across the United States, this is recent data from uh, Kaiser Family Foundation. The four and a half million people who work in long-term care centers are primarily working in skilled nursing centers. Uh, about a third work in um, home health and about a quarter work in assisted living residences. And they are overwhelmingly women and they are, uh, as they are asset constrained, um, income limited and employed. They are uh, working uh, paycheck, paycheck to paycheck and they are impacted by uh, what's occurring in our buildings significantly. So let's go on and do a further situation assessment in the three in three categories, in three product categories, skilled nursing, assisted living, and um, in independent living or market rate, uh, age qualified uh, congregate housing. Well, in skilled nursing, the situation just up to the period when uh, COVID came upon us, 
was that skilled nursing was experiencing struggling occupancy. Occupancy had been declining, and uh, depending on whose numbers you look at, uh, national uh, data suggested that occupancy in nursing homes in skilled nursing centers was somewhere around 80%. I believe that's actually lower in the individual market studies Stackpole and Associates has done marketplace to marketplace, you often see skilled nursing occupancies at or below 70%. And I believe that the national average uh, is a function of rounding from both the uh, uh, statistical market, market areas where occupancy is very good and those rural, suburban, exurban uh, nursing centers where occupancy is very poor. Also, the major source of occupancy estimates in this category uh, is primarily through uh, the NIC data, and the NIC data is a sampling from, it's the largest available sample, it's a good sample, but it's predominantly from um, the very high-end, uh, well-off nursing centers, which may present some bias in the reporting. The nursing centers are, were having difficulty with recruitment and retention. Uh, this is a issue with payment model. 65% of the population in nursing centers uh, are uh, Medicaid beneficiaries and Medicaid is notoriously uh, below cost reimbursement. Uh, and that gets to the economic model, which is struggling. 65% uh, of the population is being served at a loss and 10% of the population, the Medicare, Medicare Advantage and private pay are cross-subsidizing the Medicaid population. This is a legacy problem. Uh, I've written about it extensively. Uh, it should be an embarrassment uh, and it should be resolved. Uh, whether it will uh, is uh, part of the future scenarios that we'll talk about. Skilled nursing centers, fundamentally old inventory uh, virtually every state has a condition of need, certificate of need requirement for new construction, and there's been very little new construction in skilled nursing across the United States. Most of it's been replacement. There's onerous regulatory burden. Uh, the joke is that the regulations covering nursing centers are more lengthy than the regulations covering nuclear power plants. Now, I don't know if that's actually true, but having seen some of the regulations and the uh, reams upon reams of paper required to print these things out, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. A colleague of mine who, with whom I was talking earlier today said that just in the past uh, six weeks, that between OSHA and CDC, 768 pages, I think I have that number right, 70, 768 pages of new guidance have been issued. So this is a classic onerous regulatory burden. And finally, there's a deep negative cultural bias towards skilled nursing. Nursing homes are not held in high regard. They're not viewed as, a, as the critical solution that they are in the communities they serve. Very often, they are seen as places of last resort and seen in not a positive light at all, which makes the current environment uh, all the more difficult. Um, the, um, in addition, in assisted living, the, um, I just want to mention with regards to nursing homes, the issue with nursing homes, going back to the nursing home piece, uh, the issue has been this market mix 
of residents uh, often referred to as quality mix. And what that really is code for is the proportion of the residents in a particular nursing center that are being paid for through Medicare Medic uh, or through uh, Medicare Advantage or through private pay. That's the quality mix. And what that means is those are the patients on which the nursing center has a positive margin and that positive margin needs to cross subsidize the negative margin associated with the Medicaid beneficiaries. In assisted living, the occupancy situation has been a little better. Um, the occupancy overall has been relatively stable. Um, it's been probably impacted uh, in certain marketplace areas, in certain standardized metropolitan statistical areas by additional supply, uh, eager developers, eager builders, uh, cheap money has been flowing into assisted living and developing assisted living properties uh, in marketplaces with anything like uh, good occupancy rates in an attempt to grab some of that occupancy. So that has stilted um, the occupancy rates. Recruitment and retention is also a challenge within assisted living, but it's a little easier, easier than it is in the skilled nursing environment, uh, in part because of the social model and the programming that's available in assisted living, and also because of the uh, lower regulatory burden within assisted living. And frankly, assisted living is because the, um, the newer inventory of generally uh, more attractive places to work. The physical environment is better. So the <clears throat> newer inventory, uh, lower regulatory uh, burden, and there is still nevertheless a somewhat negative cultural bias toward assisted living in the uh, in most marketplace areas, and we'll look at that and look at why. In the age-qualified independent living markets, the so-called independent living, independent living is a label that is also applied to another category in health and human services, which makes it a little different, but in our lexicon, we talk about age-qualified congregate market rate properties as independent living residences. They've been experiencing flat or declining occupancy, um, recruitment and retention is not a burden in this environment because the staffing ratio, the staffing is very, uh, very light. The, the economic model is a simple rent or lease model, so the numbers are easier to understand and generally the inventory is newer. There's little or no regulatory burden and there is a slight negative bias, but less so than in comparison to skilled nursing and uh, assisted living. We typically, inside the, inside the sector, we typically talk about structured supply, looking at the skilled nursing, SNF, skilled nursing facilities, assisted living residences, independent living residences, and then continuing care retirement communities. And the B and C there refers to board and care home. This is the way that uh, we look at the uh, structure of the supply in congregate uh, age-qualified housing. Now, that's not how consumers see the supply. Consumers conflate all of these categories and see many of them as overlapping, and they generally have a very difficult job 
discriminating between and among the categories. This has been very evident in many, many surveys that um, Stackpole and Associates and other colleagues have performed in the markets in the United States and in the UK, suggesting that uh, the sector, the congregate long-term care sector, hasn't done a very good job at all at differentiating its product for these markets. So the consumer market sees supply as this overlapping Venn diagram of products. And that's relevant for the road ahead in as much as uh, negative perception in one of those overlapping circles is likely to have impact on and affect another of those circles. They are indeed um, conflated in the mind's eye of consumers and how they see skilled nursing, how they see nursing homes also impacts how those same consumers see uh, assisted living and to some degree continuing care retirement communities and even independent living. So that's the situation. That's that's the place we are we are at with congregate care, congregate age qualified care in the United States. Um, and this these factors will all play a very important role in uh, the road ahead. Because what we're interested in is how are we going to recover um, the situation in most uh, congregate long-term care centers is is has been very bad for the past several weeks uh, tragic in some in some ways so what is the road ahead how can we anticipate or predict and importantly what do these models for recovery show us how to behave now what can we do today that will uh, make the road ahead better smoother uh, have our do a better job of assuring our survival into, into the time ahead. Well, in a macro view, this is a way of looking at recovery. This is an economic model. Uh, I believe this is from the uh, United Nations about the United States and the impact of the COVID on GDP growth and how this will play out over time. So you can see here that there are various ranges of effects based on certain variables, uncertainty about how uh, the country will deal with um, the public health issues, uh, how effectively those um, medicines will be, how effectively mitigation or suppression effects will be, and understanding that this is still an evolving situation. So as you can see here, most of these models show that by Q4 in 2021, there is some level of recovery that's occurring uh, in GDP and um, other economic indicators. This is important because uh, we know from the 2008-2009 uh, Great Recession that the reduction in employment and loss in GDP growth had both had a significant impact on the consumption of healthcare. Healthcare consumption went down as a direct result of the 2008-2009 Great Recession, but also there were significant impacts 
on the rate of acceptance, the absorption of assisted living market rate products, as well as in uh, nursing home occupancy as well, directly related to the recession, the Great Recession. So here we are entering uh, a period of economic uh, uh, recession, possibly depression, that's even greater than that, so we can anticipate these effects. Uh, McKinsey put together a very nice set of models, um, and if you contact us, we can share with you the links, or we'll put these links on our website so you can access this report. Put together a very nice set of models to show how we can recover, what the types of recoveries will be. And I think within, in fact, I'm quite confident that within congregate long-term care, we're going to see a few different types of recoveries. Uh, I wanna point to this model A1 in the McKenzie model that shows a steep drop in economic activity and then a slow hesitating emergence from that deep drop back toward stability or back toward uh, point A where we started. I believe overall for the congregate long-term care sector in balance, that's the type of recovery we're going to see with some slight modifications and exceptions, which I am going to delve into a little bit. Another possibility, and I believe that this is likely for the independent living market, I think we'll see a swifter return, a more uh, abrupt upturn in demand uh, as the markets emerge, as individuals feel slightly more secure. There is latent demand that's building up during this hiatus, during this period of uh, lockdown, quarantine, uh, uh, epidemic suppression, pandemic uh, isolation. During this period, there's pent up demand. And once that demand is released, we're going to see sort of a hit the accelerator, hit the brakes, hit the accelerator, hit the brakes, but it will come back more quickly. The market model that appears in B3 here in the McKenzie model shows what's referred to as an L-shaped recovery. And I believe that in skilled nursing, uh, that's the risk. The risk in skilled nursing is that the loss of referrals, the loss of new clients, uh, deaths, and the departure of existing residents, for whatever reason, uh, will not, and that that will be enduring, that that change will be lasting. Uh, again, this is going to be varied from location to location. So I've put together the factors here that will impact uh, the road ahead for congregate seniors housing, congregate age qualified housing. The first of these factors is acceptance, and the, the, the other word for this, the other term, is penetration. Penetration is also often referred to in feasibility studies as the number of, or the proportion of age, income, asset, and otherwise qualified individuals who actually choose a particular option. So if in a particular marketplace area, like Boston or Atlanta, or Orlando, 
you have a certain number of age-qualified individuals, and then smaller than that group is a number of income or asset-qualified individuals. Of that group of age, income, and asset-qualified individuals, what proportion of those people actually accept congregate seniors housing as a solution for them? Now, there's variables involved. There's psychographic variables, the disability variables. And each of those needs to be looked at carefully in every individual market studies, but study. But very broadly, the rate of penetration, the rate of acceptance of, for example, assisted living or independent living is a key indicator in a marketplace area as to uh, what the demand will be in that marketplace area. Another factor are the trade-offs, and I'm going to talk more about penetration and acceptance because I think in the I'm certain in the post-COVID time, in the post-COVID period, uh, acceptance and penetration will be a key metric in determining uh, how we emerge. There's also a trade-off between and among the risks and the utilities. So it's a risk-reward balance that's now changed. Consumers are going to be much more sensitive to the potential uh, risk associated with infection and illness than they have historically in these markets. Properties, assisted living residences in particular, present many of them present beautifully and offer uh, some of them stunning interior environments. And when a consumer enters these environments, this curb appeal, this immediate sensory input uh, pushes other factors to the background. Historically, it's done so. We need to be aware that going forward, those consumers who come to our doors will look first at our cleanliness and disinfection protocols, and secondly, at our chandeliers and the smell of freshly baked bread wafting through the lobby. So these, the utilities, the benefits, and risks will be balanced. <clears throat> As has always been the case, the critical competitor to independent living, assisted living as a lifestyle choice, and this includes CCRCs, is the status quo. What are people giving up? What are people gaining? And we all know that the loss of any benefit, like health, overwhelms the risk of losing another benefit, like health. So these factors the benefit, risk, and the status quo will play a huge impact, have a huge impact going forward on how quickly um, assisted living in particular and independent living as well. And CCRCs are once again accepted as a solution. And furthermore, in those marketplace areas where there's a very high acceptance, and we know where those are, those are marketplace areas where there's an assisted living residence on, uh, on every other block, in those marketplace areas, that recovery will be more swift than in marketplace areas where lifestyle choices, congregate seniors' lifestyle choices are not as popular. The next factor that we need to look into or consider is the government and regulatory intervention. What government will do as the result of the tragedies unfolding 
in skilled nursing in particular and assisted living residents as well. What governments are doing is nothing short of amazing. Uh, you have on one hand, uh, a state issuing orders to nursing homes, telling them they have to accept patients from hospitals um, and the nursing homes having no protocols for that, no personal protective equipment, no protocols for how to screen and properly screen. And then if someone screens out, what do you do with them? Send them back. Um, and then in other situations, uh, governments, uh, local authorities, flip-flopping decisions to accept. Now you don't have, you have to accept them on one day and the next week you don't have to accept them. Uh, and I also heard a very tragic story consistent with this overall picture where one state official uh, ordered nursing centers, a Department of Public Health official, ordered nursing centers to accept consumers, uh, accept patients being discharged from hospitals uh, and ordered them to develop the criteria and then surreptitiously uh, removed her own mother from the nursing center where she had been resident. So these types of things are playing out in the marketplace, in your marketplace across the country. So how the government responds to this is gonna be very interesting to watch and track. Finally, and I don't wanna to get too deeply into the weeds, but insurance, liability protection and exposure, risk management from a uh, insurance perspective is also going to play an extraordinarily important role in this recovery. We've seen this already with OSHA, just this week, I believe it was this week or late last week, issuing guidelines about employees functioning within skilled nursing centers. We're going to see the insurance industry stepping up and attempting to understand and mitigate their risks because of course, their risks in this regard are enormous. The post-COVID models, uh, we already talked about the factors, these factors of acceptance, regulatory change, um, uh, they're, they're going to affect the depth, length, and the shape of the recovery. And I'd like to propose that there are two scenarios in these three markets. <clears throat> the first scenario, uh, it might be overly optimistic, but uh, I've been advised that I shouldn't be a prophet of doom and gloom all the time. One possibility is that the sector will actually get rebuilt. That significant components, especially of the skilled nursing uh, regulatory complex will be revised and that this will recharge those markets. The um, recovery in the SNF environment could uh, force uh, governments to look at the preparedness of skilled nursing centers for these kinds of challenges. Uh, the current situation could uh, highlight the critical role that skilled nursing centers provide in communities and may actually stem the raft of closures and bankruptcies that we've seen as the result of the uh, decaying economic model 
in nursing centers. Uh, uh, the recent spate of bankruptcies has been extremely burdensome, especially to rural and ex-urban communities. So we need something like a safety net nursing home um, model. Uh, Senator Kennedy in 2009 uh, actually proposed a sweeping reform called the Class Act, which uh, provided some of the funding and some of the structure, which uh, in this commentator's opinion, uh, were needed to um, address some of these issues. But that's scenario one, we're rebuilt and recharged. Scenario number two, unfortunately, is that we could be ravaged by death and relegated to permanent second-class status, especially in nursing homes. And remember, for the assisted living community, there'll be knock-on negative effects to what happens in nursing homes. Consumers who aren't able, uh, and families who aren't able to secure proper skilled nursing placement for a consumer, for example, with neurodegenerative disorder who truly needs and wants a secure uh, skilled nursing placement, they're gonna wind up in some kind of assisted living. So that will create a whole set of knock-on effects in many marketplace areas. So with all of that being said, let me, uh, let me go on to what I believe to be uh, some three or four uh, likely scenarios for uh, recovery. <clears throat> in the SNF environment, what I'm suggesting is that we have gone very quickly from roughly 1.5% penetration and acceptance. Uh, that is to say of the age qualified consumers in any given marketplace area, roughly 1.5 to 1.6% pre-COVID were inside of skilled nursing centers. We're gonna see that, already have seen it drop off. The uh, front door is closed, very, very few new consumers being admitted to uh, skilled nursing centers, uh, while there's quite a few leaving for a variety of reasons. And this recovery will take quite a bit of time this model shows a recovery at a, at a uh, gradual rate, looks more like an L-shaped recovery, and all the way out to uh, October in 2021, when GDP uh, in the United States should be returning to baseline, we still see uh, a depression or a negative effect on skilled nursing occupancy. Now, this won't be in every skilled nursing center, Certain skilled nursing centers that are very progressive, that have very aggressive marketing communications programs, that have very aggressive outreach, significant community and referral source connections, they will fare better. But this is my best estimate is how this sector on a national basis will uh, recover. Assisted living residences are in a different position. They start in a different position the national averages for acceptance or penetration, uh, according to uh, our, my colleagues or our colleagues at NIC, uh, is about 12%. Certain marketplace areas are much higher than that, and other marketplace areas are much lower than that. But the national average is about 12%. Uh, 
we see that going down precipitously, already have seen it going down precipitously, and then going through a gradual recovery. Uh, it probably won't be this smooth in certain marketplaces uh, like Dallas, where we're seeing uh, recently a, a spike in some new infections and new hospitalizations that will cause this on the accelerator, on the break, on the accelerator, on the break sort of recovery in that marketplace area. But the overall uh, assisted living residence market demand, penetration and acceptance <clears throat> will, will return, will recover, and it will recover more quickly than uh, skilled nursing. <clears throat> for independent living, the numbers of the current starting point for independent living is a little tougher to fix but I'm guessing it's around 15% based on several regional studies that we've done uh, in certain marketplace areas. Again, it might be a little higher or a little lower, but we see a much faster return toward uh, baseline uh, in the post-COVID period. Some reasons for this is uh, branding. Independent living residences aren't branded as healthcare solutions. They're branded as social solutions. Not that I think that's an option for assisted living residents. I think uh, the toothpaste is already out of the tube in that regard. Um, the, uh, these properties uh, also are savvier marketers. They do a better job with their digital assets. They do a better job reaching out to their marketplace areas and <clears throat> have deeper community networks in that regard. So <clears throat> once again, the, these are likely recovery models. There's certainly no guarantees, but the factors that we've already discussed in terms of penetration, in terms of the starting point in a particular marketplace, these will have a significant impact on the depth, length, and the shape of these scenarios. <clears throat> so what can we do? What we are here in this Tragic situation, uh, congregate care is, uh, is the perfect breeding ground for <clears throat> the coronavirus. Uh, it's the transmission options are too many, too varied, too great. Uh, the sector, uh, not due to its own fault in most cases, the sector was slow to respond because it didn't have the, the PPE and because it uh, got completely conflicted in mixed signals. <clears throat> From the from its strategic and its regulators. Uh, so what do we do? What's next? Um, I'm going to suggest there are two basically two options. One is that we can take the victim role, and we can adopt a um, uh, you need to help us position, or we can take on a change agency role. And while these two aren't necessarily exclusive, mutually exclusive, um, it is important that you understand, I believe, in communicating and developing a position to recover from this uh, pandemic in congregate seniors housing and care. It's important to understand who's doing what and why, and not only to determine what you're going to do, but what others are doing as well. <clears throat> and here's the first set of things that I believe it's up to us to do. First is take responsibility for the messages. 
this was the focus of the crisis communications webinar I gave a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we know it is well known in the public relations and science, marketing science communities, it's well known how to manage communications in a crisis. It's stunning to me how few uh, nursing centers and a, assisted living is a little better at it, but how few people actually employ those tools. They are ready and able to be used and they work. The last thing we should be doing is waiting for the media or special interest groups to drive the narrative or to shift the rhetoric towards shame or blame. Now, um, I do see in the media uh, special interest and think tank policy development personnel, <clears throat> uh, university-based um, think tanks pointing to the government's inability to provide the right tools, the, prop, the personal protective equipment, <clears throat> uh, disinfecting screening tools, protocols, the government's inability to provide those, and yet at the same time, the government's requirement that everybody be tested. Well, where are the tests? You can't require somebody to uh, test everybody if I'm a nursing home operator, if I can't get the tests. Uh, talking with a client just uh, two weeks ago, uh, it was only then after literally begging his State Department of Health that he was able to basically strong arm the Department of Health to uh, make the tests available for all of his employees. Why do we have to go through that? So there's a limited role of shaming that can serve some specific near-term agendas like getting tests, getting uh, personal protective equipment. But it has a limited duration. It has a limited shelf life and it's of limited scope. <clears throat> That's, that same tool simply won't work in uh, assisted living and market rate independent living. Um, and we need other communications positions. What's critical is that we move and shift the narrative now. While there's a still listening while there's still tolerance and acceptance of the messages, this is the time to start putting into the public spaces the messages about the value of what we're doing and not, not just the heroes work here message. That's a very good message, don't get me wrong. And it's a very good message because I believe it and it's true. But the other messages about the role of the senior congregate care center in the community. What's occurring, what has occurred inside the community, human interest stories, what the community can teach us about solidarity at a time of isolation, what the community can teach us about things like nutrition, what the community can teach us about things like caring for the mental health and well-being of the staff members who are caring for the most vulnerable members of our community. So all of those messages can be associated with your brand and will be taken up in the markets in a very positive way and will 
counterbalance any of the negative messages, uh, any of the shaming messages that come out of uh, private special interest lobbying groups that want to, um, I don't know what they want to do, but I see the messages uh, in the media by groups who seem to want to put every nursing home out of business, <laughs> uh, shaming and blaming uh, without seemingly without a purpose. So tell the stories and show the images. The other thing that we desperately need to do is we need to review our digital assets. And for those of you who are interested, I can talk with you about offering you a digital audit through uh, an affiliated company of, that we work with. But the point is that families are now using the internet and social media channels more than ever. All the data is very clear. And this crisis, this pandemic has pulled us into the digital arena. Well, I know because many of you out there have been my clients or are my clients, I know that in some regards, there's been slowness, uh, reticence to adopt digital tools in marketing communications. This is the time to go whole hog. Whatever can be done, uh, and it can be done economically, whatever can be done to uh, improve the performance, enhance your digital assets, this is the time to do it. Crisis communications is critical. Um, I believe that there are many organizations that are now offering crisis communications uh, programs. Uh, get on a webinar, read a book. There's very good literature and it's scientific literature. This is very good evidence-based uh, data-driven analysis of what works, what to say and how to say it in a crisis to mitigate the negative effects of the crisis. I think we need to accept and understand the risk aversion, the fear that our consumers and our clients uh, have now and will have uh, for some time to come. I believe that this is not a permanent characteristic of the market dynamics in congregate seniors care, but it's certainly going to endure for the next uh, 18 to 24 months. So we need to understand it and adapt to it uh, effectively, both in our marketing messages and in our sales interactions. One of the things I want to point out about fear, and fear is the uh, obverse or the opposite side of the coin of safety. <clears throat> and safety is a must-have quality. It's the kind of quality that needs to be there in order for the consumer to, in order for the provider to be in the game. The consumer needs to feel uh, safe. Well, now the consumer doesn't feel safe and the consumer may not feel safe necessarily because of you and the solutions you're offering, but because of the overall general environment. So how you address that is going to be, uh, going to be critical. Uh, segmentation. Uh, we need to look at segmentation in the long-term care markets as we have not done previously. Uh, there have been some segmentation studies done. We've done some of them but there's been far too few. We need to better understand the psychographic, uh, not just the demographic or uh, econometric, socio sociological, but we need to understand psychologically who chooses our solution and who doesn't and why. That's, that'll be an important piece. The segmentation needs to be done for SNF consumers and staff, because staff is going to be the 
staff is the means of production in both SNF and ALR, and how we recruit and retain staff going forward will be critical to our ability to fulfill and recover effectively. Number four, in the current market, we need to defend, fortify, and protect value. The value proposition we offer to our consumers is much more than a quid pro quo. It's not transactional. The value derived by our consumers is, uh, it is far deeper than that, and we need to understand that. We need to understand that also about our staff. Um, and we need very effective, uh, rigorous service error recovery, because in the post-COVID environment, securing new market share, new prospects is going to become much more difficult, much more expensive, and the conversion rates will be lower. So we need to be very effective at recovering when there is a service error. Finally, with regards to the future market, what we need to do is we need to innovate. Innovations up to this point have been very slow. Uh, they've been more like lipstick. Uh, we need deep-seated innovations uh, and, uh, and a real shift in technology. Why the sector hasn't been pushing its technology providers even harder, I, I, don't, I don't know. But we need to push um, forward. Uh, this is one of the reasons why um, that, you know, I had no interest in technology previously, but we developed a patent for the, uh, through the United States Trademark and Patent Office. We all need to be doing these things. We all need to be pushing the technology envelope to discover how we can improve efficiency in the post-COVID period. So I've tried to cover uh, the current situation, likely recovery models with scenarios, uh, some what I believe to be effective responses that we can undertake now and to review what it is that managers can do. Uh, although I'm always at risk here, I can't see your faces. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Uh, thank you, George Bernard Shaw. If you enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.